Welcome to the Business Benchmark Group podcast, where you'll learn how to think strategically about your business and discover that while business is not easy, it doesn't need to be hard. With over 20 years experience in turning stalling businesses into thriving enterprises, here is your host, Stefan Kazakis, the founder and CEO of Business Benchmark Group. Hi, I'm Stefan Kazakis from Business Benchmark Group, and uh, in our in our episode this uh, this week for our uh, our podcast series, we're uh, we're going to be listening to a uh, what I see as a uh, a very young entrepreneur, a bunch of guys that uh, I guess started out at a uh, at a primary school and then went on to high school and eventually ended up at the same university and and then stumbled along into a uh, a business idea that uh, by hook or by crook they turned it into something that was a game concern and uh, our, 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 one of the founding members one of the founding directors of the business called Kyandra IT Martin Cooper wait is who we're uh, uh, I guess uh, sharing our podcast with uh, in this in this episode and and I guess you know Kyandra IT was a business that started uh, you know about uh, 15 or so years ago and and it's and it went on to win some amazing um, accolades in its journey and and whilst uh, we were on a journey uh, at, at Business Benchmark Group with uh, Kyandra IT. They were uh, really, really, really deserving enough to be earning a 2012 Telstra Business Award. And, uh, you know, it was also awarded BRW Best Place to Work for six years running, Deloitte Fast 50, year in, year out. You know, chosen, it, it was a chosen partner for Category 1 and Tier 1 organisations for such a long time. So it's really, really enlightening and, and almost empowering to, uh, to listen to Martin and his sharing and and some of the uh, the, the pearls of wisdom that he shares on on the journey from being a I guess a, a primary school buddy to a uh, a business partner to something that was going uh, over and beyond uh, their wildest expectations. So sit back, listen hard. There's some beautiful tips and and pearls of uh, wisdom that Martin Cooperway from Kyandra IT will be sharing with us. Stefan Kazakis, Business Benchmark Group, where everyone has an opportunity to build an unbelievable business. Just a very quick introduction because I think it's befitting um, <coughs> Martin Cooperweight. Um, his IT story started over 30 years ago and he doesn't look that old anyway, but it started over 30 years ago developing adventure games for his primary school friends and selling them. How cool is that? Right? So co-founding Kyandra IT while studying at university over 18 years ago. Martin is the Director of Software Development at Kyandra, the largest department in Kyandra. Martin also sits on the board of Swinburne University Centre for Computing and Engineering Software Systems, instrumental in developing Kyandra's reputation as one of Australia's top custom software development houses. Kyandra have won many Microsoft and other industry awards, including the medium-sized business of the year at the 2012 Tausha Business Awards. Now, for any of you that understand awards, there are awards and then there's awards, right? <coughs> Telstra Business Award of the Year 2012 for medium-sized business. Also, Kyandra has been awarded the BRW Best Place to Work six years running. Not bad, yeah? Kyandra is in the CRN Fast 50 and the Deloitte Fast 50 consistently, year in, year out. Kyandra is the real option on a global level of being the chosen partner for Category 1, Tier 1 organisations in helping organisations advance the digital platforms. I've personally mentored Martin and the team for over two and a half years 
and um, I was privileged to, I guess, watch the, you know, the phase two, phase three, phase four aspect of that business happen very quickly because once you get structure and you get belief and you get alignment, when you have resources, things happen very quickly. So without a further ado, just want to really introduce someone that's uh, close to my heart and uh, I know he's going to leave us uh, with some really cool information. So Martin Kuberway. Thank you, mate. Thanks. Hi everyone, thanks Stefan. Uh, yeah, wow, what an intro. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I started the business in 1995. Uh, it, was, it was funny back then, um, you know, uh, through an enormous amount of uh, imagination, I thought, you know, what should I call a, com a, a computer business? Because by that stage, I'd always been a nerd. I loved fixing my computer at home, friends' computers, that kind of stuff. And uh, just through word of mouth, people would get me in to fix their works computers. And in 95, it was a lot less of an established industry, IT in Australia. But anyway, and I was going to call the, the business uh, System Solutions because I thought that was really unique. And uh, I went along to the registry office and the little green screen terminal there said, yes, you can have System Solutions. And I was running late for a uni exam at the time. And I uh, was in the queue and I got to the front and an incredibly intimidating, very large, angry woman was behind the counter. and. People were still smoking in offices back then, so she's there and she's like, oh, you can't have system solutions. Uh, there's all these other businesses that, that, that are named that. And uh, yet the computer that I'd used had told me that it was fine. And then, and then so she said, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm really intimidated by this woman and I've got a uni exam and I'm running really late. And so I, um, I, I, I sort of froze a bit and she said, well, what street do you live on? And I said, uh, Kyandra Close. She goes, that'll do. And without actually asking me if it was okay, she put it in the system and hit enter. <laughs> So I got my little $70 certificate uh, with the business name, and that's where Kyandra came from, but yeah. So, um, you know, it's nothing, it certainly wasn't this strategic uh, planned event with all my advisors. It was just a scared kid at, uh, you know. And look, and I'm not sure if that lady's even still alive anymore, I doubt it, but, uh, she <laughs> but if that's her legacy, and she's not even aware of it, but there you go, but anyway. So yeah, we started in 95 and uh, we've been through our ups and downs and uh, we have about 75 people today. That sort of fluctuates between that 75 and 80. We do software development and IT infrastructure. What is that? That is software development is, for us is digital, but it's everything right from the experience you give people who interact with that system, whether it be your customers or your people, uh, right through to every single aspect of how your entire enterprise functions. Um, and making sure there's complete harmony and optimization at every level. That's a bit different to a digital agency. Agencies typically sit more at the top end. They'll help you with your strategy and other bits and pieces. We go a lot deeper, and that's how we've positioned ourselves to be a bit different. Um, yeah, so we've built new platforms and end-to-end -end systems for clients, big and small. Um, most of our clients are quite small. We just sort of we, it was interesting, you know, we, the way we were able to start playing on the bigger stage was to we, you know, Fosters had this little um, app, they, this little database they wanted, and we built that. We did it really well, and then we added something else on, then added something else on, and, by, and then we find after 10 years we're, we're running the whole, uh, the whole fleet system and then their tax around their fleet and other bits and pieces and things. And so it sort of started like that, and then we built up a reputation, and then it went from there. Um, and, yeah, the, the, uh, the last thing I'd like to say is that we... Uh, we did, as Stefan mentioned, win the um, Telstra Business Awards for Meeting Business in 2012. We're very proud of that. That was certainly, I must say, due to uh, Stefan's coaching. We wouldn't have got it without him. Um, you know, um, that's no bullshit. That's true. Uh, he helped us. 
at our heart, we're a bunch of nerds and passionate digitalists who love what we do. But at our heart, we certainly weren't great business people, and he helped us change that. So uh, thank you, Stefan. I really appreciate that, mate. Um, all right, so I'm going to go over here and seamlessly hit the button. There we go. Um, I've spoken about some of our customers. We do. I'm not going to spend uh, really much more time on this. You can see there's lots of big brands there. It's been fantastic for us. Um, uh, I'd like to get on some, uh, onto some, uh, some more interesting stuff from this, so we'll keep going. All right. One of the biggest things that we've learned, what, what I wanted to do is uh, firstly define what do I call digital. And so for me, digital is anything that uses electronic means to inform, engage, or automate. So a lot of the time, digital nowadays gets used as a term meaning, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's your digital brand, uh, it's how you advertise, so to speak, market to your customers and things. And that's very much the speak of an agency. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, and it's all very valid. But we talk about it being, as I said before, much deeper than that. It's every, if, you, if you've got a, a device that uses electricity and it has a circuit board involved anywhere, then that's digital as far as I'm concerned. Now, the biggest thing I learned, and, and I'd like to impart to today, because was, was that um, with digital, really, there aren't any boundaries to what you can do. Um, obviously, you've got your obvious time, quality, cost sort of considerations, but a lot of people perceive so many more boundaries than there really are as to what you can do and what, what you can improve using digital means. So from there, with that blank canvas of effectively infinite possibilities of what we could do, I, uh, Stefan asked me to think about what, what have I learnt along the way. I've been doing this now since, well, it's about 19 years I've had the business. Um, so I sat down and I thought, okay, because I'm not, um, I don't public speak very often, I don't. The, con the work and the consulting I do is usually, I work with other business owners or, uh, or C-level execs or product delivery people and those sorts of things, but I certainly don't stand up in a room and generally don't sort of compartmentalise my knowledge and what I've learned. So I had to sit down and I thought to myself, okay, what have I learned along the way and what are the things that have made what we would see the biggest difference to us and then, but then also the biggest difference to our clients and what we've observed with them. So, in summary, I've learned that customers have short attention spans, they have very high demands, and they love genuineness, like this guy. You know what kids are like, they're very authentic, and uh, you know, they, with all their tantrums and what they want, they also, people nowadays, we've really learned, they crave so you can deal with someone who's just genuine and they can be trusted because there's probably more distrust, I think, out there now than there ever has been. So that's probably one of the key things that I've learned. And on the back of that, we've I've learned that the, uh, the bar is higher nowadays. Um, you know, about 10 years ago, you could have a nice website. Um, you could have information about your, your company on there. Um, you could have email and, you know, contact numbers and those sorts of things. But that does not cut it anymore. That's like... That's a website and, 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 and looking nice online is like, that's like, okay, I'm breathing, but there's everything else you need. You, you, uh, you are in the stone age if that's all you do now, you want to be relevant. So if you think about business for a minute, everyone here, I would assume, when they deal with someone, you expect you want to have good service. You expect people to honour their commitments. So you expect people to call you back, do the job properly, supply a warranty, etc., etc. But customers now expect speed and the ability to change on a whim at any time. 
Uh, people expect to be able to do anything that would have been done over the phone, over digital means now. If, what's really interesting is that people get really frustrated. In the, I remember when I started the business, a customer's mindset might be, oh, if I've got a problem, I can just give these guys a call. It's fantastic. You know, I can get it sorted out. Um, you know, it'll be sorted out within a few minutes. Nowadays, if, I, if you said to someone, I oh, just give them a call, they're like, what? I have to give them a call? And that, that is like, that's irritating. They'd rather be able to log online, do dick, 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 three clicks and it's done and fixed. That's, that's the level of expectation that exists. Um, now, not, hardly, not, hardly anyone actually delivers on that if you look at the, the vast proportion of all businesses. But as far as the overall spectrum of clients, that's that level that everyone actually expects and is disappointed, even if they don't quite realise it when it's not there. <clears throat> now, what happens then is, what I found is that businesses will go, oh, alright, well, we need to do all this digital investment. And there was this term called the minimal viable product. Now, that applies to anything you do but I'll focus on digital. And it doesn't need to be necessarily a product as such as in something you, you know, that you sell as an item. It, it can, you can take an MVP approach to a service um, and how you surface that. The thing with MVP is, so, so the idea is you build something as cheaply and as quickly as possible that just meets the, vin the, the minimal needs of your, uh, of your clients. And people would be do, do that everywhere in, in, in MySpace. The pro and, and so yes, it gets done really cheap uh, and yes, it, it's really fast to get done, but is it good? No, it's generally not. Most of the time, it's, um, it's crap, really. And, and the most common manifestation of these issues is that how often do you go to a site, a, a website for a business, and something doesn't work? You know, you go to order something, it doesn't work. You go to uh, find information, you can't find it, that, that, that sort of approach. And in the end, as soon as you cross that line uh, where customers uh, where stuff doesn't work, customers get pissed off. And that is that, and then you've, you've eroded the trust. And all of a sudden, you know, if you, your MVP website, even though you're the most, uh, you know, you're the most amazing company at all the things you do, but you've underinvested on your digital side, then in the end, they, people draw the assumption, oh, well, the company must be shit. You know, that's, that's the experience. It's like if you called up customer service and that person's on, had a bad day and they're rude to you, you've made the assessment that that company's crap. And people do that, and they do that emotionally, and they do that subconsciously. So that, you know, if you ask them rationally, well, do you actually think that reflects the whole company? And say, no, of course not. But they've already had that emotional connection, that negativity with your business, and then it's just downhill from there. Because so, there, there's a reality check that people need to have. You can't have it all. The facts are, if you want to do anything, and I think this applies to not just digital, but anything in business, you can either do it, you can have it, it can be good and cheap, but it won't be done fast. If it's fast and good, it won't be cheap. And if it's cheap and fast, it won't be good. And, uh, and so people often take the bottom because they get into this area of, got to do something now, we've got to get it fixed now really, really quick. And, they, um, and in the end, they build something that's not very good. The other thing is that um, people often you think you know what your customers, what their minimal viable level is, but that you're usually about 10 rungs lower than the actual, what they would deem as being minimally viable as, as what they want. So Jeff Bezos, founder and CEO of Amazon, he famously said, if you make customers unhappy in the physical world, they might tell six friends. If you make customers unhappy in the internet, they might tell 6,000 friends. Um, and that's certainly true. It's a little bit more than that now. I think things have progressed a bit. 
um, the, the thing is nowadays there's no real delineation between the physical world and the internet as far as where customers choose to communicate and experience, good or bad. They'll use both fluently and they'll use it far-reachingly. Um, as I said before, customers have a higher expectation of what you think an ideal minimal viable product or minimal viable implementation of digital is. And they'll shout it out loud on the internet to anyone who will listen. And uh, see this guy is now that guy. And in the end, if you take Jeff's quote, in the end, if you make customers unhappy, they on the internet will tell 6,000 people. It doesn't have to be their friends. We've got this whole thing now. People love to grandstand on the internet. They love to, you know, they'll, they've had a bad day and they've had a bad experience with you and they'll bottle all that up and then they'll just shout off the rooftops. And they do it in, they do it everywhere. Like people get really, uh, they, they, they get a bee in their bonnet and they, you know, they don't just complain to a few people on Facebook. They'll go to the company's Facebook page. They'll deliberately post on there. They've got a vendetta against you, and it's 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 been quite a shift that we've seen in the last um, in the last ten years. So MVP actually sucks. Now there'll be a lot of people who say no, people aren't understanding the essence of what MVP is about, and all that. And and if they it wasn't really the they obviously were too minimal in their minimal vibe, but blah blah blah. It's the most misunderstood term, so in the end, I say it's my personal opinion, and this is just me, is that MVP sucks and it's not the way you should be thinking about how you interact with your customers and your clients. I think we've got to think about a, new, a term more minimal, lovable product. Your digital interface with your customers must match your non-digital interface in the way it feels, in the way it provides the information. If you're if your culture with your clients is of being happy and helpful, your website needs to be happy and helpful. And the question then you ask is, is it really helpful? And the helpful is, can they get every piece of information about their project or anything else they need there on the website straight away? Can they make the changes that they could do on the phone, on the website? Those sorts of things. That's what true helpful is. See, the thing is, sexy looks without substance in my industry. Uh, obviously, I'm not part of that. But uh, from a personal level, but uh, uh, from uh, from we'll go from websites. Sexy looks, you know, awesome looking website. It looks amazing, um, but it doesn't really do anything except be a brochure for your business and maybe a contact form. Is what will it's basically fluff. It's porn compared to the real thing. Um, and if you dish up fluff, then you're fluff. So if you're going to do something, don't be token about it. Make your digital uh, interfaces meaningful. Make them useful. Make them provide value. You, your customers want, you need to do stuff that makes a difference to your customers. You need to authentically make things faster for them, better, easier. You can't just make something pretty and expect people to go, oh wow, that looks amazing, this must be a great company. You've got to actually, you're better off investing on tools and systems and things that make things better for your customers than they would if they went to a competitor. So, Around minimal lovable product, uh, there's a bit of a framework around it. So first, of, first and foremost, viable. What I'd recommend is, if you can, you've got to treat your digital investment or your IT investment, sort of all blurs together, like you might approach a marketing spend. Now granted, digital marketing and digital delivery through agencies is often bundled up with marketing spends anyway, so they've got that area of of businesses um, a little bit more progressive and that they've got that right. But you've got to think of it as an ongoing investment, not a single spend. So instead of 
getting like lots of money together and, and embarking on a big project to do something really big, but then expecting that you would then stop and it's done and then you don't go on, I suggest you look at it from a different perspective. I say pick a budget that you can maintain each month and settle in for an innovation process, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So the key is you don't want to stop. You don't want to stop. You can't do one thing and then pause. Whoops, I need to go backwards. Sorry. There we go. My mistake. Sorry about that. Okay, there we are. Now, remarkable. Um, you, you can't just be a little bit different. You've got to be, if you can, be very different. And don't be so safe that you're easy to ignore. Um, you've got to give people a reason to talk about what you do. Because you want to influence as much word of mouth and non the stuff I have to pay for marketing as you can. The other thing, you want to, you want to build your tribe. So think about what, which customers will be so passionate about your business that they'll be your advocates coming back regularly and telling their friends. Focus your efforts on them, you'll save a fortune on marketing. And the other one is, and I've, I've left that out, my apologies, is around delightful. In the end, if you delight your customers, you delight them in... We had a client who was an engineering company, and they had a crappy looking portal who, that looked, looked messy, and people could go in and uh, they could check on the progress of their jobs. Now they can, they, the, the, the whole interface is, is uh, really slick. They can log into their, their, um, their uh, account on any device. They can not only check the progress of their project, but book new projects. They can order additional services. They can change orders along the way. Uh, they, can, uh, they, they can pay their bills straight away using credit card. They, do all these things, and it's it's making a huge difference in this company who already who now owns seventy percent of the housing market, uh, housing engineering market in WA is coming over uh, on the east side and is just cleaning up, and people don't even know they're coming, they don't even realise, and it's just because they're going after all these industries that are that are the 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 engineers, and then they still think like engineers, and they just do like engineers. But if you can crack that nut, then there's such a huge opportunity for for businesses to to dominate against competition. Because if you think about it, if everyone else in your industry is still stuck in 1987, well, that's beautiful. That's such an awesome opportunity. Go after it. So the key, what you want to try and achieve is entanglement. And you know, I was thinking about it. How would I break it down? And uh, I'm going to call it the five stages of stickiness. Stefan, you can have that for your next book, mate. It's all right. Sorry. Um, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, you know, the more your customers can't exist without you, the better. Imagine it was simply unimaginable to go anywhere else. Now, everyone obviously thinks that way. That's your goal, right? So, what we do is the work we do is pretty much deliver it on stages of impact and benefit. So, each one making a big hop of difference and, you know, basically profit um, at each stage you go. Some clients start at stage one, others go straight to stage five, but you can't get, you can't, you can't not do stage one, two, three, four. You've got to do them all to, to get to stage five. Now, Stage zero, website and email. That's not really a stage. That's just, that's just your um, ticket to exist in business nowadays. So you've got your website and your email to interact with you. Stage one, a read-only portal. Now, I think the concept of a portal is awesome. I reckon the idea that if you're, especially if you're providing services for your, uh, for your customers, 
um, if, and that service takes a period of time and it goes through stages, you absolutely should have a way for people to come in and find out where that is. Find out, uh, and, and, and because people love transparency and being transparent about what, what stage is at. And even when things go wrong, people really, really appreciate that because you're, you're maintaining your trust. And nothing emphasises trust than when you actually say, look, we've had this issue, but this is how we're going to fix it, and you're open with that. Now, stage two, trade if applicable. If you can find a way to conduct trade online, and a lot of people sort of get stuck on the fact, they go, oh, you know, maybe I should just, uh, I can't do any a web store, you know, I'm not about that, I'm about service, it's not going to make sense. But you've got to try and think laterally about how you can facilitate people to engage and buy from you online, in particular for services, because a lot of people get stuck and they can't do it for services. Once you crack that, and it's, as I said, it's not just about an e a website store where you buy products and there's a checkout. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about um, how can they inter... Greatest example, the, the, we, we did work with a, a bunch, with a, with a law firm. The, the legal industry was full of um, people creating documents, uh, terms and conditions, other bits and pieces. I'm sure you've all gone through the process. You know, you go see your lawyer, they'll charge you a certain amount to build your customised terms and conditions for your customers and other bits and pieces. So. And, 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 you know, and, the, and then that's a very expensive process. You've got all the staff behind it to generate that. Well, we thought, well, hang on, this, this is crazy. Why don't you automate the creation of them? How different are they really between the different? And often you find in industry verticals, they aren't that different. So what you do is you automate the whole thing. Someone comes online, I want the terms and conditions for an engineering company of this size and I trade in uh, this region and blah, blah, blah. You just answer the questions and bang, it's done. And you sell it for $195. You sell them all over the world. So that's how you scale, you've got to crack that nut. And there wasn't a shopping cart in that process. There's not add this and this and this and check out now, but it is still trading online. If you can crack that nut, and the big, big, get advice, get other people into your, with, to talk to you and think about what are the things you could do. A lot of the time you get stuck in what you do every day and nothing like someone outside of your business coming in and giving a little bit of lateral idea. All right, where are we, stage? Three, interactive trade. So with stage three, interactive trade in, say, the legal example that I gave before might be where you go, okay, um, I've, bought your, I've bought my terms and conditions, but I don't like this bit here. And then you provide an interactive way to people come back and say, oh, my clients aren't going to be happy with this sort of intellectual property clause. Could you tweak that? And then someone at the other end goes, yeah, sure. And interactive trade, I mean, you see it now where People say click here to chat and you can talk straight away. Banks are doing it quite well. Say you're, for example, going for a, um, a credit card application and you're midway through the application, there'll be someone to say, um, hi, do you want to chat about this now? And they have exact context about what's going on. They know that you're on the third screen and you just put this value in at this section and they can go, oh, you seem to be sucking here. Can I answer a question about section four? You see, that's much more powerful than just, hi, have you got a problem and they've got no understanding of the context. Um, and that interactive trade where someone is at the other end ready to talk to you online and know exactly where you are in the process and help you along the way um, makes a huge difference as well. And I mean, it's such an opportunity to upsell as well at that point. You know, uh, you know I'm, I smile when I see some of the, the, the credit card application systems we've built and the person behind is saying some of our scripts. And you know, it's like, well, you've selected this product, but really if you went with the platinum, yada, yada, you could do this and this and this and you're getting another opportunity to upsell. All right, 
Stage four is business to business, and that is where there are no humans involved at all, and that really makes a profound difference. Um, where we, for example, a client, uh, an engineering firm example is another one, they buy products, and what, I won't go into detail, but they buy products from one of their suppliers to enable them to supply their stuff to builders. And what, we, what you do is if you build, uh, if you build a direct link between the systems of one of the supplier and the systems of vendors, then it all, and it all happens behind the scenes so that when an engineering project starts and we need these items, they go click, 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 and it's ordered and shipped and dispatched and no person gets involved. The ability for then the, the, the companies that are in bed together, so to speak, to decouple from each other is much, much harder. And, uh, and, and the holy grail is when you can get B2B connections with your, with your clients. So for example, our, our particular client, Structair, they deal with big building organisations. If they have business to business connections with those big organisations, then their whole system, their whole business all of a sudden now is tied to them. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's your goal. And the last one is customer tools. And this is probably the most crazy one, at least from my perspective, that people keep out of there. It's right out of their viewpoint. They don't even think that way. Say I'm an, engi say I'm an engineering firm and I build my, my uh, clients are builders. Now, what you do is you learn about all the pain points that affect builders. So they go, right, well, managing projects is really hard and there's not really a system for us that does that. So me as an engineering firm, I go, you know what? What if I wrote a tool that enabled you to manage your projects? And, and, it's, and it's free. It doesn't cost you a thing. And it's got nothing to do with how I run my business. I've just created, I've just created such a monumental amount of value for you and then I, and I give that to you. And, and you make it so that you have access to this system and you can run your, your entire business off the systems we provide you as long as you're doing X amount of trade with us a month or we're exclusive or whatever deal you want, even better, a B2B link, whatever it is. That provides such immense value. And a lot of people get shoehorned in, or, or blocked, blinkered, and they go, oh, there's no way that the amount of money I'd have to spend to do that would realize the benefit. But I ask you the question, I say, it's a simple ROI analysis. What would you pay to keep a particular group of customers that could benefit from that? I would say to them, what, hap what would happen if a competitor came along and they provided an offering, and out of all your customers, say the builders, who could, you know, they might say, well, 80% of our builders could use that tool. Okay, what would happen to you if you lost 80% of your customers? Well, you know, if you take that amount, I would say that you'd only need to spend a tenth of that to build the tool or provide the tool that they need. And then they go, yeah, okay, and they get out of their, their blinkered view and they build it and it makes a profound difference. And in industries that aren't particularly tech evolved, the clients, on the other hand, are going, this is mind-blowingly awesome. I, that is so crazy. I just, and, and even the competitors just think that's just a stupid idea. I can't believe they did that. And then they just clean up. And it's just fantastic. This is an interesting one because, ironically, we're, you know, we're effectively a data company. And I doubt there would have been anyone that Stefan's met who has fought so hard at saying the process around collecting data on every single step that everyone does and everything, was, it, was, it was not going to pay off. It was just too huge, too hard. And uh, uh, <laughs> I couldn't have been more wrong on that one. Um, the more you can track every step, every interaction with your business, both externally and internally, who did what, when, how, how was it communicated, what triggered what, 
that all opens up an enormous amount of power for decision making for any for anything as in things you can improve changes you can make staff that actually aren't as good as you thought they were or staff that are stars and they're not being seen it was interesting you know once we finally got to that point and got that in place i we worked out that when Phil, one of our sales guys, takes a call between 10 and 11 o'clock on a Monday, and then he gets me to call them back when I've had lunch after, but about two o'clock, not at four, because I'm a bit sleepy, because it's been a long day, but at, at, at two o'clock, and then, then I'll have a 50% greater chance of closing a certain deal. So the key is you want to put in place a structured solution that manages the workflows instead of each thing. And the, and the key thing where you start with would be sales, I'd suggest. And you want to put in a structured CRM solution. Um, and it doesn't have to cost the earth. And the key thing is you don't want to put a place, what a lot of people do is they take a system and they'll put it in what I'd say vanilla. So they go and get Salesforce or they'll go and get Microsoft uh, Dynamics CRM and they pop it in and they sort of go, yeah, you can have some custom fields. And, but then what they don't think about is it's not just the digital side, it's the What's the processes I need to put inside my business to make this work? And often it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, your salespeople are going to have to log into this screen, they're going to have to go click, 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 type, 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 typing all this information and all this sort of stuff, and it fails, fails hard because the salespeople want to be selling. They don't want to be sitting there typing in heaps of data. So the key thing is you have to actually think about recrafting your processes around making it so that the, the time it takes to do that for a salesperson is actually less time than they spend doing paperwork now and you want to automate as much as possible. What we have now is a process where we might go, right, well, um, we, uh, whenever we communicate with someone, like say I have a phone call, I'll always send an email saying, look, thanks for the chat, um, as discussed, X, Y, and Z. But then you have, so the system looks in the email and goes, right, you, when you said this word and this word and this phrase and this phrase, that means it's a new lead and then there's this opportunity here. And you had a proposal, so the proposal gets thing here and then we'll tell accounts that this is coming over here and all these things happen, but you haven't all automated don't have to have people checking and adding and doing it all. That, that makes such a huge difference because then the data just happens by itself and then you can use it accordingly. All right. Now, the last point I was going to say, which I think is probably one of the most important ones, is you've got to leap forward and then you've got to run like hell. So, as I was saying before, if, you've, if you pick a spend and then you allocate that to the, to the process of automation and uh, providing tools and, 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 and digital systems for your customers. You're better off finding a sustainable amount of money each month because ultimately what happens is you go, yep, I've got to do this. And this, we see this in every case with our clients. Yep, we'll build a, a system people can come in, they can lock jobs, they can do this, they will know where drivers are, all these sorts of things. And then they release it to the market and all the competitors go, wow, that's awesome, we're going to do the same thing. And they sit here and they go, all right, well, hopefully theirs is not as good as ours. And the competitors all build clones of what you've done. You know, what you've actually got to do is you start here and you go, right, these are all the things I want to do. And here is my list. We're going to, the, the most lovable items are these ones, these ones, these ones. These ones are going to make a fundamental difference to make our customers love us. And then you deliberately only release that amount. Don't release it all. Release that amount. So you release it and then all your competitors go, oh, I'm going to copy this, this is amazing. And then you go two weeks later and you release the next thing. And then the next thing two weeks later and then the next thing. And the competitors are just, they just can't keep up. They just can't. 
and you just continually do that. And you're just making a little, little adding bit more every two weeks, every two weeks, and you don't stop. And an example of that, I mean, Facebook released several times a day new features. You know, and that's crazy, and they've got you know, more money than all the gods that ever existed. But the thing is, uh, you know, back in the real world, if you just release something better every two weeks, we've seen that two-week cycle, sometimes three weeks, generally not less than two, blows everyone else behind. And it's not a, it's, it doesn't actually usually have to be a particularly expensive ongoing spend. And often you find you reallocate funds that you were otherwise spending on advertising campaigns that weren't getting anywhere, marketing spend that was kind of, there was no test and measure really behind it, and you reallocate it to this, and that's what makes the most profound difference. And I think that covers off pretty much everything that I uh, would, would, could impart to you in this time. So look, thank you very much for listening to me. <laughs> Before you go, guys, um, questions. Any questions for Martin? Because again, you know, he, he's tried to again be um, relevant to um, to our audience here today. He's tried to give us a few tips, and I think the tip I take out of it, it's not a stop-start situation. It's a strategy when you're thinking about um, creating a platform that's digital-inspired or systemised to another level. You need to be thinking, okay, what's my next step, next step, and next step after that? If you know what I mean. So from that perspective, I take heaps out of that and, and again, working very closely with um, this organisation and, and, and the team that makes Keandra the reputation that it is, I know that there's a lot more you could have shared here today. But more importantly, are there any questions for him to uh, give greater insight or further expansion on right now? Yep. Yeah. Uh, what sort of timeline and budgets do you want to Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, usually we would recommend that if you generally, it, it, look, it, it's it's such it's such a how long's a piece of string question. It depends the nature of your business, I suppose. But we would we have clients generally who would spend anywhere between. If you're going to do something sort of significant, say, like you really want to make a profound difference and really take on the competition, clients will spend anywhere between say ten thousand dollars a month up to. Our biggest would probably be on that sort of model, three hundred thousand a month. Now, three hundred thousand a month is huge, you know. But I reckon that sort of that ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty would be our most common area. And uh, you know, because what we also do is we help people. If once you get the fact that digital is here to stay and it's a key investment, we actually help people find people in their business, and we actually help set up those programs and systems in place so that, especially if you're a little bit larger. Get a really great team up and running internally. You know, people get shocked when I say that. They think I'd be all about outsourcing, but it's just not realistic for a lot of businesses to spend the amount of money they need to. And I've got, I can be busy working on other clients. So um, yeah, so so in that, a lot of the time we'll get started. We'll help bring someone to market. We'll help find the right people. We'll put the systems and processes in place, get themselves sustaining, and then allow the the client to be able to then. Um, run themselves, and then they just bring us in from an advisory level along the way, and that's probably the most sustainable long term, I'd say. But look, it all depends uh, on your particular situation and how much of a leap you want to do at the beginning. You know, if you want to just do a huge, profound new thing, that could be quite expensive, or if it's just you know, sometimes it might feel big, but it's actually not as big as you think. Um, what one thing we do do is that we allow. We'll, we'll sit down and, and, and talk with anyone and, and, and think about ideas and we don't charge for that time. Because ultimately, one thing we've learned, and this is off Stefan's teaching as well, is that you build a relationship and just say we had a conversation and it's like we, it wasn't going to be right for us as in it was, and, and, and then we might better suggest elsewhere to go or something like that. 
but if I've made, if I've provided value to you, then you'll go, you know, that was really good, and then you might speak to someone else, and they go, you should call Marty, you know, and have a chat to him. And so we do that, and it just pays massive dividends. But um, yeah, anyway, I've probably oh, gone slightly good. off. No, track. no, that's great, great advice. I think um, another way to consider that um, question and answer is, if you're clear about what it is that you're building, and you're clearly understanding the size of the market that you ultimately could tap into then this becomes a fraction or a percentage against that invest against that realization that's right so that's that, right. that 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 is very important and what well. i will just quickly say on that too what we do is we run a we facilitate a workshop for a couple of days and we get your key people in and we brainstorm not we're not expecting you to know what you necessarily want to do you might just know that you need to do something and so we'll facilitate the process of working what that out what that is and we say, right, well, have you considered this, 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 this? And then we put together a plan, and that, that's called a pre-inception, and that designs basically your strategy of what you could do, you know? And then, yeah. And so you don't have to come to us and say, here's my list, this is what I want. Right. Mate, again, yeah, just to get some clarity, once businesses are up running, some of those stage one, stage two, three businesses up to five million, if they do a project, and let's say it's a $200,000 spend, is there some sort of relationship of cost of maintenance and you know, updating that relative to like when I started, you know, one of the key things I learned was you know, spend 8% of your total revenue in marketing and you know, you'll always create business. Is there a relationship between you know, like maintenance and keeping it relevant to turnover? Yeah. Is it about 5% figure or? Yeah, it's, a, it's probably about that. I mean, it, it, it used to be very much like you were describing. I think the, cha the challenge is now is the way people use digital can, can um, dramatically vary. And there's a difference between true maintenance, which is just keeping it going, and then actually investing in the change. And it's all around the pace of change. And so ultimately, as, as it, it ultimately boils down, what can you justify? And then what we often find is clients say, right, well, we'll we, we can say justify 5% or whatever it is. And they go, if, um, and then once, for every increase in our profit or other bits and pieces, we'll reinvest 50% of uh, the difference back into it because it has an accelerated effect. One more question, guys. Can I ask you, you know, with someone like you who's got a strong relationship with Microsoft, how are you seeing um, redundant infrastructure and legacy modernisation changing the way you're doing your business and uh, helping to assist clients to go away from old infrastructure like XP in 2003, as we know, in 52 days? Do you see that as a big driver in your business to help modernise and then take it to the next level? Well, the thing is, it's interesting, you know, um, when you mentioned, and it was certainly the case a few years ago that you know we had a very strong relationship with Microsoft. One of the biggest changes we did in our business is we said, "This is that in itself being so vendor focused, single vendor focused, was against what we were about, and that we wanted to be providing the most relevant and pertinent IT advice." So we're very, we're now we we uh, we revel in our ag agnosticity, if that's such a word. And so for us, we've developed, uh, so for us it's all about knowing. I mean, the short answer is yes, but it would be around, um, we've got to make sure that we understand what's going on across the whole industry about everyone, and to always provide information that is absolutely authentically in the best interest of the client. And that might sound like, oh yeah, that sounds nice. But the moment you, stray from that, your reputation gets tarnished. Because some, there's so much information there. You could talk to someone else and they go, ah, oh, that sounds like bullshit, no, no, that's not right. And then, you, then, then your trust is gone. So it's a, um, but in short, yes, we do provide that. I mean, it's part of the whole thing. I mean, when, when people engage us for their sort of ongoing digital uh, 
consulting, so to speak, and services. That's everything, whether it's they're using XP or whether they um, have to build software for this. There's an enormous amount of stuff you can leverage that's open source. What can you, what's free that we can use, all those sorts of things. You don't, you know, very rarely nowadays you have to custom make everything like we used to. Okay. Do 10, 10 words or less for any startup or less than a million dollars turnover, and they need to get this right. Get their website, that interactivity, that digital platform, at least from phase one, and then mm -hmm. we can scale up. 10 words or less, what's your advice? The most important, oh God, I've never said anything less than 10 words in my life. Well, uh, <laughs> 15 seconds, go. Okay, the most important thing is to have someone in your business, whether it's you or someone else, who has to absolutely be on board and own the vision and be part of the process for what that is. So you might, for example, try and find, see, I've already gone over 10 words. Go, 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 go. You've got to own, you've, you've got to be part and own the vision for it. If you outsource, uh, if you, if I'll just, just get them to sort it out. No, Martin, you, you guys just come up with what we want to do. Unless, if you, you need to be an active participant in the sessions, in the strategy. You don't have to know the answers, but be part of it working with us. And the best people to do that are the business owners. That's where you have success. Because then when you own it, you may not, need, you may not be able to afford working with us, or, and you might try your luck with an offshore company or other bits and pieces. But if you truly own and understand exactly what it is that, you, that, that it needs to be, then you can eventually get a, overcome any obstacle because you can say, no, that's not right. So many places say, oh, I'm an engineer, I don't do that stuff, you just do that. And then something gets built and it doesn't have the result they want and they never really took ownership of, is this the right thing for our customers? Because we will never know what, we'll never be experts of exactly what it is like for your customers okay, like you are. That's 47 words, mate. Well done. It's more than that, it's 400. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Stefan Kazakis from Business Benchmark Group and listening to Martin and his sharing, uh, Martin Cooperweight from Kayandra IT and his sharing, I guess, uh, in, in, in the recent uh, episode, just just makes you think, you know, uh, this is a business that started in 1995, a bunch of guys that went through, uh, you know, the journey of just being buddies, buddies and, and ultimately ended up in the adult life being business partners and, and have since gone on and continue to grow a, a, an amazing and and, and an unbelievable benchmark business on a global level so I guess I love I love where uh, Martin ended up and uh, you know the most important thing is to have someone in your business to absolutely own the vision and uh, if, if you outsource that you need to be actively involved you know you need to be actively involved in in in, in, in what is the standard what is the 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 level of you know customer service customer experience customer journey and it all starts with what is the level of 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 what is the high-performance team that you are ultimately building? And in my experience, at a business benchmark group, you know, when we really think what we do, and and Martin exemplified it beautifully, as did the total business at uh, Kiandra IT, as do the hundreds of businesses that we have worked and continue to work with on a daily basis. You know, it all starts with empowering empowering the uh, the leader and their leadership teams with continuing on a journey of growth high-performance teams when you think about business success and life success it has nothing to do with you know let's work harder it's got to do with what is the plan and how are we executing and measuring and correcting against the plan for which if you do that several rotations in a row ultimately 
delivers what is a high-performance team outcome. And that is everyone is aligned to what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, totally clear as to why it was decided it needed to be done, and being really clear about the scalability and the ultimate success of the business being exceptional for the clients it serve. With all that done and dusted comes the eventual sleep at night factor for everyone, not just one or two, but everyone on a team to have a better quality of life. I'm Stefan Kazakis, Business Benchmark Group, empowering every small business owner on their journey to building high performance teams. No exceptions. For more information about Business Benchmark Group's coaching, education, and training programs, visit businessbenchmarkgroup.com.au or call 03-9001-0878. If you liked this podcast, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and leave feedback as well. Stefan shares so much value in all his podcasts and we encourage you to go through the archives and listen to other episodes of the Business Benchmark Group podcast. Thank you for listening.